Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, excuse me, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Renee, good morning. How are you this morning, Renee? I am very well. Very glad to be here. Um, yeah, thank you. How are I you, am, Lyle? I, I am starting the radio show with a scratch in my throat. <laughs> I, I, I was almost wondering whether I would even make it through the introduction, but hey. You made it here. through. <laughs> Eyes watering, throat scratchy, but we're here, praise God. What are you thankful for this morning? Well, I am very thankful. Um, I'm also in pain. My muscles hurt. Just because we were playing a basketball game last night and we this had good fun, pain, Lyle. Then. This is good pain. We Good pain. But also, what's what's helpful is that we won. Yes, we won. Yes, <laughs> fifteen to sixteen, we won. <laughs> That's a significantly better result than last week. Renee. Yes, that is significantly yes. better. Yes, so very thankful that for that. It feels nice. It feels nice to be on this side. Is this is this your first time? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so this is uh, Renee's basketball team. They are on the up and up. Yes. Uh, they are improving and that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a good time. Everybody had fun. So that's um, that's the main point. Exactly. And you have sore muscles, which is just an extra bonus. Yeah, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Sore muscles. sore muscles is evidence that they have been used. Oh, thank goodness. In a good way. Yes, good, good. Yes. Good, good. All right, excellent. What am I thankful for this morning? Hmm. Uh Okay, so I'm thankful for a great team on the end. I know I've been talking about the end a lot lately, but we have the Q&A after the program is over. There's the four of us to get together, you know, the two Australians, yes. two Americans. Yes. Well, it's actually kind of three Australians because one of the Americans born in America, but he's actually Australian citizen. Okay, okay, yes. So Matt's an Australian. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, what's happening in uh, positive news stories this morning? Okay, so um, I want to start off with a story about um, a new a new sculpture which pays tribute to local Indigenous people who risked their lives to save their European neighbours in one of the most dev- devastating floods in Australia's in Australian history. Yes. So in Gundagai, in New South Wales, town in, uh, called Gundagai, it could have been wiped out during the Great Flood of 1852 if it wasn't for the efforts of two Wiradjuri men. I don't know if I said that right. Near enough. <laughs> so Two indigenous uh, people, uh, men in uh, Gundagai. Yes, that's right. So over the weekend, they celebrated the 165th anniversary of the Great Flood, which happened in Gundagai. And so they unveiled a, scu- a sculpture that honoured Yari and Jackie Jackie, who risked their lives to save a third of the town's population during that time. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And I don't know that we actually have any Australians who can match what these guys did mm-hmm. as far as heroism goes yeah. and as far as life-saving, number of lives saved during a natural disaster. That's right. I think they would. I would be very surprised if they don't hold the record right there. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, especially being Indigenous people um, during that time, there was a lot of tension. But these two, these two men, um, they didn't worry about any sort of race or colour or anything. What they did was a bravery act. They didn't think they just they just did what they needed to do. Um, they um, it says that 
1852, Gundagai was a budding village of 250 residents. But when the flood ro- uh, flood waters arrived, it estimated to about kill 89 Australians. So making it the most deadly, uh, most deadly natural disaster ever recorded in Australia. Um, but you know, although that's a high death toll, it could have been higher had it not been for the for the actions of Yari and Jackie Jackie, who um, saved about 69 people from drowning in that flood. Um, so yeah, the committee that came together to to um, fund this statue and to recognize what these two men did during that time, they they said that you know this is a really important that people remember and see these men as heroes because that's what they are and that's what they did. They they what they did was very brave and heroic. Nice to see the recognition. Probably about 150 years too late, but um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> good to see them finally being recognized and yeah. saving 69 people. You know. They were not using the kind of technology that we have available today, so they didn't mm-hmm. jump in the SES tinny and no. go running around taking, you know, collecting people off of mm-hmm. uh, house t- house roofs and out of trees mm-hmm. where they had been swept. These two guys, as I understand it, grabbed a couple of you know homemade bark canoes yeah. that you know they'd used you know traditionally on the river, mm-hmm. and you can imagine. I don't know about you, Renee. I've been on a canoe in a flooded river, and it is hard to control. Oh, is why? Well, you've got really strong currents, and they spin all kinds of directions. You've got lots of stuff under the water oh. that is not normally under the water of a river. Okay, yeah. And uh, the one and only time I ever ended up in a canoe on a flooded river, that canoe ended up being split in half, and I went for a swim. Wow. Oh my. Okay, so this is a this is a dangerous thing. Now, not only that, they were doing it in driving rain yeah. in the middle of the night. Okay, mm. so so think about think about how daunting that would be mm. in a bark canoe. So this is not, you know, some modern fiberglass or aluminium yep. kind of yep. or, or or plastic uh, canoe. Mm. This is something incredibly fragile, and they've just headed out into the dark, into these waters. You have no idea what's being, you know, there's logs being washed down, there's dead animals being washed down, yeah. there's houses being literally washed away off their foundations. Yeah. They're paddling around in that. They're collecting men, women, and children yeah. and taking them to safety. Mm-hmm. This this is phenomenal. It is. This, is. this is off the charts. Yeah. And, and what makes it more amazing is that they knew. Um, when Gundagai was settled uh, about 1838, it was bo- the town was built on river flats yes. across the river, and and they did warn. They did warn. They the, did. They, they the indigenous them. people. They said, "Don't build it there. Yeah, it's going to flood." They know the land, and they knew that particular place was prone to flooding. And despite their warnings, they were ignored. But you know, when it did flood, they 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 could have easily just you know said, "This is not my problem." That they were risking their lives for people who. For uh, for people who ignored their warnings, not all of them. I'm just saying, you know, from the from the beginning. So it's a very extraordinary extraordinary story of of the, you know. heroism and courage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was really really cool. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, more on good news. Yes, a 70 year old man charges into a burning building to save his neighbors. So uh, his name is Helm. 
So Helm was walking his granddaughter to his to her bus stop early in the morning, where the bus driver began to began to signal, "Hey, um, there's smoke coming out of your neighbor's house." And without thinking, Helm dashed to his neighbor's house, opened the ga- garage door where there were flames climbing up. Um, he hurried in and he we went to check if there was any people inside. And so he was yelling, yelling, "Hey, hey, anyone there? Get out!" Um, to which his neighbors Gary and Kathy Benjamin had been sleeping upstairs and they awoke to hear Helm shouting um, about the fire. And obviously they wake up confused, wondering what's happening, what's what's going on. Um, but luckily they managed to get up, get out of the hall, uh, you know, run, run through the hallway and escape through the back door, just as the flames were engulfing the gra- garage door where Helm had just come in um, moments earlier. So thanks to his quick actions, um, although the Benjamins had lost their home, they, they didn't lose their lives. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, impressive story as well yeah. of personal heroism. And one of the tragedies, of course, of fires that take place in a home in the middle of the night is that often the residents will be overcome by smoke before they properly wake up. That, yeah. And, you know, there's just sort of nothing you can do. It's, yeah. It, it completely, uh, it's just devastating. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, the report did say they had... Minor smoke inhalate. Inhalation. (laughs) That's the word. (laughs) We've got all these big words this morning. We're struggling to get our tongues around them. But uh, it makes for uh, fun times on radio. So, yeah, they got away with minor smoke inhalation. It's it's contagious. Oh, no. But, yeah, so they – because he he woke them up, they were – they were saved. So Yes, absolutely. And we like to see people's lives being saved. We like yeah. to see people uh, doing heroic things. Yes, that's right. And to be able to report on though, there's still this we hear so much negative news. Yes. There is yeah. so much good news to be spoken about and so yeah. many good things that good people have done uh, many different times. So it's good to hear these two, story, two stories of heroism this morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So 71% of middle-aged men in Australia are obese. Yeah. This is some pretty serious stats right here. Mm-hmm. The cost of that to Australia, to the economy in Australia, is $6.8 billion per year. (laughs) Wow. That's massive. Yeah. Um, Of course, obesity is associated with uh, cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, diabetes, arthritis. And this is one of the reasons why here on Faith FM Radio we have uh, several, or uh, particularly on The Breakfast Show, we have several segments each month where we really do focus in on health and particularly lifestyle health Mm. because lifestyle health is so much more important because you know preventative rather than cure yeah um it's a bit crazy to be going to the doctor for a cure when you never had to go to the doctor in the first place and there's so much that we can do in our lifestyle to change our lifestyle to enable us to live longer healthier lives and the reality is that the you know the average person spends the last you know seven to twelve years of their life ill needlessly wow. didn't need to spend all those years ill and uh, you know because of the lifestyle that they're living and so this is not just about length of life it's also about quality of life mm. um, just a quick brag right here Adventists of course uh, live around about 10 years longer than the rest of the population because we just follow what the Bible says about good health and the Bible has a lot to say about good health which is absolutely amazing but that does not mean that we are immune from uh, obesity, obesity, cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, diabetes, you know, arthritis, etc. Because 
you can follow the Bible in an unhealthy way. Yeah. You know, that's, that's part of the challenge of it. Uh, the U.S. and Chile, we're just behind the U.S. and Chile. They have the highest rates of uh, obesity at 74%. And if we look at the percentages coming down through the age brackets, uh, so middle-aged men, 71% of Australians. Uh, men, Australian men between the age of 25 and 35, that's 60%. This is, this is ridiculous. Mm. This, is, this is scary stuff. Uh, in the age bracket of 10 to 14, it's 20%. And at that stage of life, that's about parenting. You know, parents should never be allowing their 10 to 14-year-olds to become obese. Yeah. Take some responsibility and be a parent Mm -hmm. and have a level of control over what your children eat. Yeah. Um, Part of the challenge is that we've made it socially acceptable to put on weight in middle age. You know, it's just we joke about it like, oh, yeah, we hit middle age and suddenly, you know, all of this arrived. Yeah. No, it didn't suddenly arrive. It's arrived because of lifestyle. And one of the challenges is that the older we get, we need to change our lifestyle as we go because you just simply cannot get away with eating the way that you ate when you were 20 when you were in your 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, we've made it socially acceptable for men to put on weight in general. And as a result of making it socially acceptable to put on weight and particularly to put on weight in middle age and to just kind of joke about it and laugh it off, what we've done is made it socially acceptable to be ill. Hmm. So mm. obese people spend, have twice as many, it was one of, the, one of the stats that they found as part of this research, they have twice as many doctor's appointments as um, a non-obese person. Wow. So you really want to spend all of that time at the doctor? It's no. like, no way, no way. Take, take some uh, – okay, so here's where you start. Yeah. Start by going to the Bible. Now, as I said before, you can, you can follow a biblical lifestyle in an unhealthy way, but the Bible is going to give you a great start. Yeah. And so that's the place to start. Go right there and start from there. And, of course, uh, if you want to know more about health and how to deal with obesity and so forth – Give us a call um, here at Faith FM. We can put you in contact with people within your area that are working, you know, doing programs. And uh, I know Sozo here in our North New South Wales area runs regular health retreats. And I've seen people have just absolute, tremendously good results as a result of uh, going to those health retreats and making lifestyle changes uh, as a result of that. And of course, you know, some of those some of those really, really severe lifestyle diseases, chronic diseases like, for instance, diabetes. Um, Renee, we were chatting about it before. Mm. Your, your mum or your dad comes from Samoa, which has yeah. one of the highest rates of diabetes in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were saying your sister did research on... Yes, she's, she did research on diabetes in the island community, specifically the Samoan community. And there's some and there's some scary stats there. She found some interesting, yeah, some interesting things. And this is yeah, so this is one of the big things that uh, is contributing to that. All right, another story right here. Um, watch out for thunderstorm deaths at this time of year. Thunderstorms are killing people. Mm. Uh, we had a thunderstorm back in 2016 hit Melbourne, killed nine people in a very short space of time. And you might be wondering, how did that thunderstorm kill so many people? Yeah, how? Uh, it wasn't by lightning strikes, and it wasn't by flooding. It was through Uh, what's called thunderstorm asthma. Thunderstorm asthma is something that you can 
get when a thunderstorm comes through having never ever experienced asthma in your life before so two-thirds of people who get thunderstorm asthma have never before had asthma symptoms okay so something to be aware of not so common up here does happen in sydney from time to time Mm -hmm. but uh, the further south you go the more common it, it 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 is and basically what happens is that the thunderstorm comes through and with a thunderstorm you get updrafts and downdrafts of air Yes. Uh, this is one of the things that, of course, creates hail. Mm-hmm. And you get an updraft of air that will suck up massive amounts of pollen. So you get a big pollen bloom mm. just before a thunderstorm, which will sometimes happen. The thunderstorm will suck all of that pollen up. When it comes in contact with moisture, what happens is the pollen swells, bursts, and turns into micro-pollen particles that then gets shoved back down in a massive downdraft, and the moment that that downdraft hits the ground, you get people hit with asthma. So in 2016, they had uh, 3,500 people hospitalised uh, within you know, a couple of hours My as a goodness. result of that thunderstorm coming through, and mm. nine people died in a very, very short space of time. So, yeah, something to be aware of. While we're talking about good health... Uh, one of the challenges is that people sort of start to get these asthma symptoms and they've never had it before and like, oh, I need a breath of fresh air. So they go outside to get a breath of fresh air and that's what actually kills them. Okay. Yeah, so close the windows um, and, you know, particularly if you're in Victoria. Stay indoors. Stay indoors. <laughs> it, uh, and, of course, they don't have, you know, these are people that don't have puffers, they don't have an asthma plan, they don't have... They don't know what's happening. They don't know what's happening and so we've seen some real... Uh, Tragedies right there. Other news, if we head over to Poland, Poland just brought through some new legislation uh, banning certain things. Oh, okay. Okay, so they've banned abortions, fur farms, um, animals being used in shows and circuses, and ritual slaughter of animals. Hey, that's good. So go Poland. Yeah. Uh, good to see some uh, a, a progressive country here doing some really positive things yeah. um, all together at this particular time. So... Uh, of course, there's been, you know, some mass protests as a result of that. This is very controversial legislation, as you can imagine. Mm. You're not going to uh, have these kind of things happen without protests from farmers and from um, other groups that are, you know, pro-choice, etc. Yeah. And so um, that's been taking place, and probably, you know, that'll continue until things settle down. But I think these are positive steps in a positive direction. And so I fully support what's taking place there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so uh, as we normally have on Wednesdays, David Haupt has joined us today for Thursday. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle, and good morning to your listeners. David, I'm just looking at this uh, statement that you sent through here from Edward Cruck, who is the Associate Professor of Social Work at the University of British Columbia, and he states that child poverty race, and social class are undoubtedly contributing factors in child's mental health. But a factor that has been largely ignored, however, particularly among child and family policymakers, is the prevalence and devastating effects of father absence in children's lives. What's this all about and what can we do about it? 
Kirk really is um, is fighting for lawmakers to uh, change policy regarding the role that a father plays in the lives of children after divorce takes place and emphasizes the, the fact that when a father is absent out of the life of his children, that they actually battle with uh, mental health issues later in life and that that battle is far greater than kids that are impacted by poverty and all the other issues that have been mentioned. It's interesting that children that grow up without an active role model father in their life actually research shows that they have a far lower self-esteem, lack of emotional security, behavioral problems such as issues with social adjustment and forming relationships later in life, truancy and poor academical performance, delinquency, uh, and youth crime, drug and alcohol abuse, homelessness later in life, as well as mental health disorders with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And all of this, remember, stems from our our concern about seeing so many um, families where fathers actually eventually uh, take out their life of those that they really were supposed to be protecting. Okay, so that's a long list and that's a pretty full-on list that you've given us right there. Um, when, when, when I look at this, this, this statement that you've sent through here, why is it that we have spent all of our time or so much time talking about poverty, race, social class and not talking about the role of the father and looking at solving this particular problem because it seems to be the actual biggest problem? Very true. Um, one of the greatest things for a boy, and we, uh, our main focus has been on uh, on men and boys, um, the the role model that every boy wants in their life is their father. He will actually set the foundation on how he would be uh, a man one day, how he would treat people around him. But uh, to some degree, society tended to uh, step out of marriages, we don't interfere, we make as if uh, we don't see the problems that are happening uh, in family units. And uh, while the same the associate professor actually continues, he says that the sad fact is that parents in our society are not supported in the fulfillment of the parental responsibility and divorced parents in particular are often undermined as parents. In other words, um, I believe the way that God created us as a society, not just as an individual, but as a society, is that we actually need the extended family unit around us. Um, the saying goes that in order to save a child, it costs more than just parents. It actually costs a whole village to save a child. Mm. And I've seen it in the years that I worked with people with addictions, especially drug addiction, that you needed that that fuller community involvement in order to change the trajectory of a young person's life. We have some cultures within our community here in Australia that are very, very good at being a village. We have other cultures like the traditional Australian culture, traditional white Australian culture, very individualistic, and that is not that that whole concept of a village is not something that is automatically there. What can we actually do to 
uh, create a village type atmosphere where there is mentoring and there is support and particularly when, when, when families break up that young men can still get strong, solid male mentors in their life? Before I go there, let me share some some research that UNICEF has come out with. And by the way, divorce uh, rate trends to be higher in developing westernized countries. Mm. Let that sink in for a minute. It is interesting that UNICEF had ranked the well-being of children as extremely low in these countries, in the westernized countries, where we act more individualistic. Right, because we would think so, the well-being of children would be related to you know to money and and the ability to be able to get good education because of money. But that is what we would assume. Yes, but it's not the case. It is in reality the involvement of parents, of great, uh, of of grandparents, of uncles and aunties, and the wider community, as you say, the village uh, in in your islands and in Africa, where I come from. Um, the, the more traditional people, you will find that the extended family becomes the uncle and aunties. In uh, the, the Zulu culture that I grew up in, um, the father is, is referred to Ubaba, but, uh, uh, which means father, but the uncle is Ubaba Mane, which means the small father. He is in the absence of my father. He is my father. He is the one that, that helps guides me and mentors me and, and helps me to, to grow in my life. That is the meaning of mentorship is really someone that will challenge a young person and help them to stay on the, uh, the, the narrow course and to achieve one day in life and and have a future worked out for them. In the absence of that, what happens? We see young people that that turn to drugs. We see uh, young people that turn to uh, friends and to delinquent behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So my so my uh, co-host this morning is uh, Renee Vayavasa, and her dad comes from Samoa, her mum comes from Tonga. So she's sitting here vigorously nodding her head, which indicates to me that she comes from one of these cultures where the village, you know, yeah. raises the raises the children. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's often the ones it is the village that actually disciplines the child and guides the child in right living. I can agree with yes, that. Yes, <laughs> Renee is uh, very much in agreement with uh, with what you're saying right here. Okay, so now, we we are this is a this is a culture and a concept that to me as a you know as a white Australian is is pretty foreign. You know, uh, Lyle, I want to share some experiences and some stories, if if I may, this morning, which demonstrate the point that we're trying to bring across to our listeners. A psychologist that had been working with a family with major psychopathological issues where there was drug addiction, abuse, domestic violence, where there was poverty and kids often went to bed without any food, didn't always have enough uh, warm clothing and winter to cover them up. Um, 
the psychologist that worked with that family discovered after years that one of those young people that grew up in that family made a success of his life. And he wanted to know what made the change in that particular young person's life. So he looked him up, made an appointment, sat down with him and asked him the question. He said, tell me what changed the trajectory of your life? Mm. The young, the young person said, Oh, that's easy to answer. Psychologist said, tell me. He said, on, on weekdays, I would often flee away from home, still hearing the screaming of my parents or my de facto parents screaming still in my ears. I would still have the hunger pain, the cold in my bones. I, I might not have had eaten for days. He said, the previous night, the police was uh, at our door as they often would be, maybe dragged and handcuffed one of the parents away. He said, but I would flee to the bus stop where the school bus would pick me up in the morning, sometimes hour before I needed to be there. Because every time as the bus driver would pull in with the school bus and would open that door and I put my foot on that first step to get into the bus, the bus driver without fail would uh, greet me with the words, so how's my ray of sunshine doing today? He said, that man change the trajectory of my life. Now, let's ask the bus driver, what did you do that was so special to change the trajectory of a young person's life? I guess the bus driver would say, I don't know, I did nothing. I just did my normal thing, picked up kids. But in the life of that young kid, the fact that that man, that driver, every morning created a stability by greeting him personally, making him believe that he was his ray of sunshine, actually changed the whole future for that young man's life. Something very simple, but profound for that young person. In Illinois, America, um, the... Uh, the leaders of that city discovered that um, that there was a great number of young people that stopped going to school. They became involved with anti-delinquent behavior. They eventually started to bash up old people in order to get the money. And the policing system failed. They they had no way of changing those those young people's lives. So some of the older people in the community stepped forward and said to the Lord Mayor, if I can use our Australian language, said, Your Honor, let us... Uh, have a try. He said, what do you mean? You know, you people are at risk. They said, give us an opportunity to try. He said, your lives are at risk. They said, well, we've lived our lives. We are willing to take our lives into our own hands. They met with the police commander uh, and he said to them, what do you want from us? He said, give us each a name, a photograph and the place where these young people hang out and leave it over to us. Eventually, the police uh, conceded. They gave them the name. They gave them a photograph of each uh, a young person, told them where they were hanging out, and the old people studied the photograph, the name, went to the location, identified their young person, walked up to that young person after they've put the, the photograph in their pocket. They walked up to the, the young person and just before bumping into them, they swerved to the one side and they just greeted them by their first name. 
and walked on. By the third day, doing exactly the same, the young person reacted. As the older person came up to them, the beer bottle went behind the back, the cigarette was flung in, uh, away. Within a few short months, they not only were greeting them by name, but they actually stood still, had a conversation with them. Within a few short months, those young people were back at school. Why? One elderly person in the community took the time to learn their name, took the time to converse with them, showed interest in them, and changed the trajectory of that young person's life. Yeah, now, wow. in Blacktown, I challenged, with those stories, I challenged a team of uh, middle-aged men and women to form a team with me. I developed a relationship with juvenile justice, and we said to them, identify for us young people that are heading to jail. In other words, the trajectory is only one direction. They are heading to jail. They release some of those young people in our care. We actually, I, I asked I, the church group that I challenge and said, what resources do, do you have? They said, well, we've got a motorboat, we've got a jet ski, we've got a biscuit, we've got uh, ski planks. I said, are you willing to dedicate this uh, to work with young people? They said, yes. And uh, we took those young people, tough young people on the street. They were involved with uh, youth crimes. They bashed up people, often were involved in uh, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and, and uh, petty theft. And we took those young people that were tough on the street, on their way to the water, one after the other started getting panic attacks. Mm. Why? Because we were taking them into an arena which they've never been in before. They have never been a father in their life and an opportunity to take them water skiing. We told them all to, to dress up to get wet. Not a single one got dressed in order to get wet because that was a territory that was foreign to them. On the street, they were in control. We were taking them into an area where they were not in control. They, not a single one wanted to get on the planks or on the biscuits. So we started to put them on the boats and just played around. After a few hours, they started to venture out and they got onto the planks with a transforming life afterwards. Yes, I want to talk to our churches and say that many of our churches have huge programs for their youth, but we never think that it can in actual fact be a tool of, of mentoring and changing the lives of young people in their communities. That's phenomenal, David. Thank you so much for sharing this morning. That's a massive challenge to all of our churches and to all of us as individuals uh, who are listening to the show today to actually do something in the lives of a young person, how transforming even just a small thing can be. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.